Open up to Genesis chapter 26. That's where we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> We've mentioned this little book before, if, if you've been around for very long. It's, it's called The Valley of Vision. It comes in a lot of different like printings and editions. Um, but it, it just contains like basically one page in length prayers on all sorts of topics for all different stages of life. Um, gives verbiage to how you could be praying for fill-in-the-blank thing going on in your life. It's super, I use it, uh, it's just, this stays in my office, I use it most days. Um, I want to read one this morning uh, and, and us pray through it. Uh, it connects, there's an idea here that connects to our passage, but the title of this prayer is God Enjoyed. God Enjoyed. So if you would join me, I'm going to read through it, if you would join me in praying. It says this. Incomprehensible but prayer hearing God. You are known but beyond knowledge, revealed but unrevealed. My wants and my welfare draw me to you, for you have never said, Seek me in vain. To you I come in my difficulties, necessities, distresses. Possess me with yourself, with a spirit of grace and supplication, with a prayerful attitude of mind with access into warmth of fellowship, so that in the ordinary concerns of life, my thoughts and desires might rise to you. And in habitual devotion, I may find a resource that will soothe my sorrows, sanctify my successes, and qualify me in all ways for dealing with my fellow men. I bless you that you have made me capable of knowing you, the author of all being, of resembling you, the perfection of all excellency, of enjoying you, the source of all happiness. O God, attend me in every part of my arduous and trying pilgrimage. I need the same counsel, defense, and comfort I found in you at my beginning. Let my religion be more obvious to my conscience, more perceptible to those around me. While Jesus is representing me in heaven, may I reflect him on earth. While he pleads my cause, may I show forth his praise. Continue the gentleness of your goodness toward me, and whether I wake or sleep, let your presence go with me. Your blessings attend me. You have led me on, and I have found your promises true. I have been sorrowful, but you have been my help. Fearful, but you have delivered me. Despairing, but you have lifted me up. Your vows are ever upon me, and I praise thee, O God. Amen. There's a little line in the middle of that. Continue the gentleness of your goodness to me. And whether I wake or sleep, let your presence go with me. Your blessings attend me. My question this morning is, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about God's presence with us? We, we especially sometimes in spaces like this, we talk about... God being present, the spirit being present. What are we actually talking about when we talk about the presence of God? So this morning we read through, we're gonna do pretty much all of Genesis chapter 26, the first 33 verses. And as we walk through that and, and un, try to understand the passage, we have two goals. Expand our mind to understand the wonder of God's presence, but not to stop there because ultimately we want to expand our hearts to cherish the wonder of God's presence. So if you've got Genesis 26 open there in front of you, 
I'm going to begin reading in verse chapter 1, continue through verse 33. It says this, There was another famine in the land in addition to the one that occurred in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines at Gerar. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land that I tell you about. Stay in this land as an alien, and I will be with you and bless you. For I will give, you these, I will give these lands to you and your offspring. I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give your offspring all these lands, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring." Because Abraham listened to me and kept my mandate, my commands, my statutes, and my instructions. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, thinking, the men of this place will kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is a beautiful woman. When Isaac had been there for some time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from the window and was surprised to see Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. Abimelech sent for Isaac and said, so she really is your wife. How could you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might die on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people could easily have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech warned all the people, whoever harms this man or his wife will certainly be put to death. Isaac sowed seed in that land and in that year he reaped a hundred times what was sown. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and kept getting richer until he was very wealthy. He had flocks of sheep, herds of cattle, and many slaves, and the Philistines were envious of him. Philistines stopped up all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of his father Abraham, filling them with dirt. And Abimelech said to Isaac, leave us, for you are much too powerful for us. So Isaac left there, camped in the Gerar Valley, and lived there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the days of his father Abraham and that the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. He gave them the same names his father had given them. Then Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of spring water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they argued with him. Then he dug another well and quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth and said, For now the Lord has made space for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. Isaac's servants also dug a well there. Now Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, why have you come to me? You hated me and sent me away from you. They replied, we have clearly seen how the Lord has been with you. We think there should be an oath between two parties, between us and you. Let us make a covenant with you. You will not harm us, just as we have not harmed you, but have done only what was good to you, sending you away in peace. You are now blessed by the Lord. So he prepared a banquet for them, and they ate and drank. They got up early in the morning and swore an oath to each other. Isaac sent them on their way, and they left him in peace. On that same day, Isaac's servants came to tell him about the well they had dug, saying to him, we have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is still Beersheba today. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 1 tells us that there's famine in the land. 
That's a concept that's not super familiar to us, modern day, suburban, Kansas City. We don't live in a particularly arid place. It's been wet outside for the last 47 years. (laughs) But there's no food, and the place is already arid, so it's safe to assume that water is hard to come by, which is why so much of the chapter has to do with wells. Isaac, we're told, experiences this famine similar to one that his father had experienced. And we're not told when this takes place, is how does it relate to everything that we saw with Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau in chapter 25? How does it relate to what happens in chapter 27, again with Jacob and Esau, Isaac's sons? Does all of this happen like one thing after another, after another, after another, or is it all spread out over a number of years? Presumably digging wells was not a quick thing at this time because they didn't have machinery. You sent people out there with shovels and they dug down and tried to find water. That's not something that takes place over the course of an afternoon. But much of what you see from this sort of overview of Isaac's life is pretty parallel to what we saw in the life of his father, Abraham. There's a couple things worth pointing out. There's a restatement of the covenant promises. This had been sort of assumed that Isaac would be the one that God continued to work through, not Ishmael, that Isaac would be the one through whom the promises to Abraham would pass. But now it's stated explicitly by God. Starting there in verse two, we're told that the Lord appeared to him and said, don't go down to Egypt. Fleeing to Egypt would have been the response to the famine. God says, don't do that. Live in the land that I tell you about. Stay in this land as an alien and I will be with you and bless you. And now he restates all these promises. I will give these lands to you and your offspring. I will confirm the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your offspring all these lands and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. It's worth noting in there that five times God says, I will. He's restating these promises to Isaac, but it is clear he will be the one that brings them to pass. I will be with you and bless you. I will give these lands to you and your offspring. I will confirm the oath I made to your father Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your offspring these lands. The promises are made and they're not Isaac's to fulfill. The promises were made to Abraham. They weren't Abraham's to fulfill. God will bring his promises to pass. And then in verse five, you get this description of Abraham. Abraham listened to me and kept my mandate, my commands, my statutes, and my instructions. That is a wonderful summary statement that I think any follower of Jesus would want entered into the record as like, this is the way that you would summarize my life. But if you've been reading in Genesis, you read that and you say, hold on. I read about this guy's life it doesn't seem like he was quite as perfect at following the commands and the statutes and the precepts as this summary statement would make it seem. There's a simple reminder there. It was God by his grace who credited righteousness to Abraham, right? Before he had done anything, God credited righteousness to his account. Abraham was righteous, But it was a righteousness that was by God's grace. And then he spends the rest of his life trying to live faithfully in light of the righteousness that God has granted to him by grace. So was every aspect of it perfect? No, 
But was he righteous? Yes, according to God's grace, by the gift of God's grace. Then from verse seven all the way through 33, you get what is essentially like, well, whack-a-mole. Remember, it's a famine and there's no water. And so the whole thing starts, Isaac plants and he reaps a hundred times what he sowed. There's no food anywhere. And now here's this guy who plants and in the same year gets a hundredfold what he planted. And then every time he puts a shovel into the ground, water springs up. How is this possible? What is happening? So the Philistines, unhappy about what's going on, keep plugging up the wells. Why would the Philistines be unhappy about what's going on? Well, remember when dad came into the Philistine land and he pulled the old she's my sister trick and the Philistine king had to call Abraham into his presence and sort of scold him and take the moral high ground over this person of God, Isaac goes in and he plays the same card. Say that you're my sister. And then one day, Abimelech, that's the sort of title of a king of of the Philistines, is looking down and he sees Isaac, we're told, caressing his wife, Rebecca. Use your imagination. And he brings Isaac to him and he says, why did you say she was your sister? One of our people could have taken her as a wife and you would have brought guilt on all of us. So Isaac gets the same get dressed down by a foreign king rite of passage that his dad got twice. And now everywhere he goes, we're fighting over these wells that are producing water. They stop up the ones that Abraham had dug. He digs new ones. They fight over them. He digs another one. It's got water. They argue over it. He digs another one. They finally leave him in peace. And he says, ah, now the Lord has made space for us. He's naming all of the wells after what's happening in the circumstances. Rehoboth. Ah, the Lord has made space for us and we will be fruitful in the land. And then the Lord appears to Isaac. Isaac responds in worship by building an altar, calling on the name of the Lord and digging a well, naturally. There's water there. Finally, the Philistines arrive there in verse 26 and Isaac is understandably a little bit nervous. Why have you come to me? You hated me. You sent me away from you. But they've come to make a covenant. Let's only do good to one another. Isaac's probably like, you sent me away because I had food and water. What do you mean you've only ever done good to me? Well, we sent you away in peace. It's not like we chased you, you know? So they make a covenant. And as that's finishing up, what happens? Isaac's servants come running in and they're like, hey boss, we found more water. We dug another well. Zoom out. What, like, what is the thrust of what's happening here? Why get that sort of summary statement of Isaac's life. Let's just kind of walk our way through it. Verse three, stay in this land as an alien and I will be with you and bless you. Don't go to Egypt, stay here. I will be with you and bless you. And then God states the same promises that he had made to to Abraham now to Isaac. He will bring them to pass. I will be with you and bless you. And so Isaac starts to sort of try to protect himself here in this place. He's got a huge crop full of food. She's my sister. They send him away. And we're told that the Lord 
blessed him. What's the evidence of the blessing? These wells keep getting water in an arid place in a time of famine. So after he's finally got space, verse 23, from there he went up to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham and Isaac. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply you. Then the Philistines show up and what's their summary statement? Verse 28, clearly we have seen how the Lord has been with you. Isaac strikes an oath with them to neither do harm nor receive harm from them. The Lord has been with you. The whole thing is kind of driving at this point that it is the presence of the Lord that brings about the blessing in Isaac's life. Isaac's the one through whom God is going to continue to bring his promises. God is present with him. I will be present with you. I am with you. The Lord has been with you. God is faithful and gracious to bless Isaac. And the whole picture is that the presence of God is Isaac's good. No matter where he goes, no matter where they put the shovels down, God will be with him. God is with him. God has been with him. And he's blessing. And there's this very physical reality to the blessing. They put crops into the ground, they reap a hundredfold. We're told that he becomes rich, that he's got a lot of flocks, that he's got a lot of servants, and every time they dig a well, they find water there. And I am with you, says the Lord. The Philistines, who are tired of this guy, show up kind of finally relenting, and they say, the Lord has been with you. And it leads to a fair question. If God is everywhere... Why do we keep making a big deal out of the fact that God is present? Of course he's present. God is omnipresent. Like he exists in all space. So why does God need to appear to Isaac, tell Isaac that he will be with him, assure Isaac that he is with him, appear to him again, and then have Philistines comment that the Lord is with him? What's going on with that? Isn't he always with everyone? Isn't he always everywhere? It's a concept that theologians talk about by delineating between the spatial and the special presence of God. It's worth articulating for a minute or two. And like I said at the beginning, we want to expand our minds here, create within ourselves a biblically informed imagination about the vastness of who God is, and then allow the expansion of our minds to expand our hearts. So the spatial presence of God, God is omnipresent, which means that he's fully present with all of his being in every inch of space contained in the universe. Try to wrap your mind around that. He is fully present with every facet of his being in every single inch of space in all of the created universe. It's hard for us to picture omnipresent because literally nothing in our life is omnipresent. I'm going to make a bad analogy, okay? I'm gonna make this analogy and you're gonna come up with all the holes in the analogy. I'll point them out for you too. But I think the closest thing we have to an omnipresent deal in our life today is your cell phone. It is literally with you all the time. When I go to bed, it's right there. When I wake up, it's still right there. When I go to work, it's there. When I'm in the car, it's there. 
If you want to try to like expand it a little bit more, maybe we could just take the concept of like the iPhone. Try to imagine the last time you were in a place and an iPhone wasn't present. Could have been yours. Could have been someone else's. Okay, holes in the analogy, right? We're talking multiple iPhones there. Your cell phone is not present with someone else in some other place. I understand all the holes in the analogy, but God is fully present with the fullness of his being in every inch of created space all the time. This is the way A.W. Tozer says it. His version is better than mine. We should never think of God as being spatially near or remote, for he is not here or there, but carries here and there in his very being. Space is not infinite, as some have thought. Only God is infinite. And in his infinitude, a word only theologians use, he swallows up all space. He fills heaven and earth as the ocean fills a bucket that is submerged in it. And as the ocean surrounds the bucket, so does God surround the universe he fills. God is not contained. He contains. So, he's fully present with his entire being, filling and surrounding every nook and cranny of creation. And despite being fully present with his entire being and every nook and cranny of creation, filling and surrounding it, God can and does act differently in different places. God's attention is fully present in every space in all of created order, and yet his attention is not contained in one space. He's giving the fullness of his attention to every space. So God is fully present right here, right now with the fullness of his being and his attention is here. The same is true at Hy-Vee. He is fully present in every aisle at Hy-Vee and his attention is fully there and not divided in some way between the two places. Neither is his presence divided in some way between the two places. And then insert every place in all of the universe. He's there, fully, filling and surrounding that place. He can be fully present everywhere, all at the same time. Contrast that with your human limitations. You can be in one place. You cannot be in two. And your attention in that one place, despite all of your best efforts to do otherwise, can really only be given over to one thing at a time. You can be in one place with the fullness of your being focused on one thing. God is in every place with the fullness of his being equally focused on all things. How's your biblical imagination doing? That is the vastness and the bigness of God. That is his spatial presence. So we would define it this way. The fullness of God's presence fills and surrounds, but is not contained by every inch of his creation. This is what we're talking about when we talk about the omnipresence of God. This is the presence of God that Jeremiah 23 articulates. Am I a God who is only near and not a God who is far away? Can a person hide in a secret place where I cannot see him? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? This is the declaration of the Lord. This is the presence of God that David describes in Psalm 139. Where can I go to escape from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make a bed in Sheol, you are there. So go back to our passage. God says in verse three, I will be with you. Of course, 
You are everywhere. You fill and surround every inch of space. Why would Isaac need the word of God to tell him, I will be with you? Like, yes, of course you will be because you're with everyone everywhere all the time. God is as spatially present with Isaac as he is with the Philistines, as he is with the unnamed and unknown people who live in Asia, in North America, in Antarctica at the time that this was written. He's fully present with all of his being, filling and surrounding all of that space. But what is happening here is that God is talking about his special or specific presence. Most often, when Scripture talks about the presence of God, it's talking about that special, specific presence of God with his people. What does that mean? Well, think about our passage again. What is God's presence doing with Isaac? He's not just there, present with the fullness of his being, filling and surrounding all of the spaces where Isaac is present. He's there for a purpose. The fullness of God's being is everywhere, but we are to see the special presence of God doing something on Isaac's behalf. God is blessing him. He's spatially present everywhere, but he is specially or specifically present here with Isaac. So if we were to define God's special presence, specific presence, we would say that God uniquely dwells in and with his people in order to bless them. The Old Testament is full of narrative descriptions of this reality. Joseph, at the, end of ex- or at the end of Genesis, gets thrown into prison. What's the first thing that we're told? The Lord was with Joseph and extended his kindness to him. Like, well, of course. God is fully present, filling and surrounding the prison cell where Joseph gets thrown. But that is not what the Old Testament wants you to understand. The Old Testament wants you to understand that he is specifically or specially present with Joseph for a purpose. Jacob, at the end of the book of Genesis, ends up moving with his whole family to Egypt. And his final words to his family are, God will be with you. The Israelites, grown in slavery in Egypt in the book of Exodus, God heard and saw and remembered. Moses is afraid to go to the Israelites and tell them, hey, we're going to stand up to Pharaoh and we're going to get out of here. What is God's encouragement to Moses? I will certainly be with you. Joshua receives leadership over the Israelite people right before they are to enter into the land of Canaan, the promised land. God tells him, I will be with you. I will not leave you or abandon you. David is anointed king. In 1 Samuel 16, we're told the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Nehemiah chapter nine, after the Israelites come back to Jerusalem following their exile, Nehemiah stands up and he gives a whole chapter's worth of description of all of these amazing things that God has done for the Israelite people throughout history. Why? To remind them God has always been with us and he was with us in the exile and now he's with us here in Jerusalem for a purpose. David summarizes that purpose in Psalm 73 verse 28. As for me, God's presence is my good. Genesis 26 wants us to understand the movement of God's work to fulfill his covenant plans. They were made, these promises to Abraham, now they've been passed to Isaac. And Genesis 26 wants us to understand that he is specifically, specially present with his people in order to bless them and to bring those promises to pass. He's with his people 
for their good. Spatial and special or specific presence. In the Old Testament, that promise and that presence is for the people of Israel. He's spatially present everywhere, filling and surrounding all the space, but he's specifically or specially present with Israel, his people, in order to bless them. In the New Testament, that promise is for all who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a promise to the church. It's a promise to you, follower of Jesus. In fact, Jesus says so just before he leaves the disciples and ascends into heaven. He's commissioning them to carry on his work, and he gives the following last statement. And remember... I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus tells the disciples, you are to go on doing what I have done, proclaiming the gospel, baptizing people into the kingdom of heaven, teaching them what it is to walk and live in relationship with me, and even though you're anxious about me leaving, do not forget, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's not just a heady reminder that God is spatially present everywhere. Jesus did not say that, and the disciples were supposed to think, ah, yes, he fills and surrounds all of the space. There's a special, specific promise there. It's a heart reminder that God is specifically with his people, followers of Jesus, in order to bless. Our narrative section today illustrates a truth. The rest of the Bible makes that same truth clear. Follower of Jesus, the presence of God is his people's good. God is with you. God will be with you. God has been with you. If you've been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that promise is rock solid and it is never changing. He is with you, like right now. I don't just mean that his presence fills the space and surrounds the space that we exist in. That is absolutely true. But brother or sister in Christ, he's with you for a purpose, for your good, to bless you. Let's let's like try to be as specific about this as we can be. The narrative depiction here and and all throughout Genesis is that the evidence of God's presence and blessing is this like material wealth. Okay, Tim, if you're saying that God is specially present with me to bless, how come I don't see all of those material blessings just pouring into my life all the time? If I go outside and dig a well, is water going to spring up? Probably because it's been wet for 47 years outside. Well, think through the rest of the biblical picture. If you talked to Job and you said, hey, Job, God is always present with you to bless. And that means comfort and ease and material wealth. Job would be like, then he must have left me for a stretch. If you talked to Joseph and you said, hey, Joseph, God is with you specifically and specially in order to bless you. And that's going to look like comfort and ease and material wealth. Joseph would say, then he must have left me for a little while. If you talked to the Israelite people in exile and said that, they would say, then apparently he left us. So there must be more to the 
like blessing of the Lord's presence to us than just the fulfillment of our desires, or the granting of our comfort, or the material wealth that we all desire that we had. God's presence is your good, brother or sister in Christ, which means that even when the circumstances don't go the way you want them to, he's present with you for your good. Even when the way that you wanted your circumstances to go play themselves out in the life of someone else, he's present with you for your good. Even when your prayers are not answered the way you wanted them to be answered on the timeline you wanted them to be answered in. Follower of Jesus, God is present with you for your good. Even when you watch your prayers come to life in someone else's life and you question whether or not they even prayed for him. Psalms, Proverbs are littered with statements about how the wicked prosper. And sometimes the righteous seem like they're just cast aside. So even when you feel like that's the thing that's playing out, like I've been following Jesus as best as I can, I'm praying for this thing, and I'm watching it come to pass in somebody else's life who I don't think has ever uttered a prayer in their entire existence, God is with you for your good. Even when the temptation to a particular sin seems completely irresistible, God is with you for your good. Even when you cave to that sin and now the consequences of that sin seem irreparable, God is with you for your good. Even when the guilt or the shame of having fallen into that sin seems completely unbearable, God is with you for your good. God is is as present with you, brother or sister in Christ, at dinner time as he is during your quiet time. He is as present with you while you are working as he is while you're reading scripture. He is as present with you in order to bless you when you are parenting as he is when you are worshiping. It never changes. And so you're sitting in a doctor's office and what comes smashing into your life is a diagnosis that you did not want, that has a prognosis that you do not want to have to deal with and likely has an, an outcome that is more terrifyingly close than you wanted to believe. God is with you in order to bless you. That's what's happening there. And as followers of Jesus, we have this incredible promise and gift given to us in order to like sort of physically, tangibly remind us of this reality. You receive God's grace by faith in Jesus Christ and what you get is sealed with the Holy Spirit. That spirit is not leaving you. It will hold you and carry you to the very, very end. And you say to yourself, well, so sometimes I don't feel like God is present. He is. 
Sometimes I actually feel like God is very far away from me. He's not. And I don't mean that he's just filling and surrounding the space that you occupy. I mean that he is present with you, not just physically, but relationally for a purpose. And that purpose is for your good. To bless you. Blessing can look a lot of ways. Sometimes blessing looks like conviction. The best thing that God could do for me, for my good right now, is to convict me of a particular sin that the Holy Spirit might empower me to walk in a different direction. That is a massive blessing despite the discomfort of the moment. Sometimes his presence and his blessing looks like just dragging you along as you navigate a difficult season. Like you feel like you cannot take one more step, but somehow you get up the next day and you soldier your way through it. Why? Because he's just carrying you through. He's present for a purpose. And so there's like a little two-step practice that you can just use along the way. It is helpful to remind yourself all the time, no matter where you are, God is here. We sort of like to divide space, uh, like physical space into two categories, where there's, there's sacred space and then there's what scholars call profane space or secular space. And God is very present in the sacred spaces and he is not present in the secular or the profane spaces. False, he's omnipresent present with the fullness of his being in every single nook and cranny of all of the created order. He is there and his attention is fully there and he is active in that space. That's wonderful head knowledge. And sometimes the head knowledge is just what you need when you walk into a very secular workplace or students you walk into school or class or whatever the case might be. You need to just remind yourself, God is present here spatially. If you're a follower of Jesus, you also need to remind your heart of the fact that God is there for a purpose. He is with you in that space to bless you. He's present with you to bless. There is not a single thing that you would ever go through in your life, follower of Jesus, where that is not true. Just think back through the little account of Isaac's life. Every time the Philistines stopped up a well, God was present for a purpose, to bless. Every time he sent his servants back out to dig another one and they were like, I can't dig anymore. They keep finding water. Why? Because God is present specifically with his people in order to bless when these leaders of the Philistine people come waltzing back into his life as, you know, like knocks on the tent door or whatever the case might be, and uh-oh, there's Abimelech. The king has now come to me. What is going on? I think everything might come unraveled. God is present there for a purpose to bless his people. God's presence is Isaac's good. God's presence is his people's good. I want to end with a quick little note to uh, those among us who maybe are not followers of Jesus. 
God is everywhere. And so that means that whether you want him to be there or not, his presence is there filling and surrounding every inch of space that you could ever occupy. And that's not as like a scare tactic or something like that. Well, he's making a list and he's checking it twice. He sees me when I'm sleeping and he knows when you're awake, right? Like he's not Santa Claus. He's physically present everywhere. And here's the good news of that. That means that at any moment, in any place, at any time, you can turn to him and receive his grace for the salvation of your sin. You do not need to be in a specific location. You do not need to do it at a specific time. You don't have to be in conversation with a specific person. You could be seated in your car in a parking lot one day, facing whatever it is that's going on in your life. And in that spot, at that time, you could cry out for the grace of the Lord by faith in Jesus Christ to come in and to save you. And from there forward, you've now got the specific special presence of the Lord working for your good for the rest of your life. You don't have to have that moment at the end of the church service. Like we offer it, it would be wonderful if you feel the movement of the Lord, you feel overwhelmed by his grace. You've heard talk of Jesus, this man who came and lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, resurrected from the grave, ascended into heaven, and you say, I need that forgiveness for my sin. You could come and do that at the end of the church service. You could do it just as effectively somewhere else. You know why? Because God is there. He's present. Fully filling and surrounding every inch of space. But he's specially present with his people. And so if you are not a follower of Jesus, I would invite you not just to sort of like in an empty way sort of consider the truth of the gospel. I would invite you to give honest reflection to the claims of scripture with the understanding that at any time, in any place, you can receive the grace of the Lord for the forgiveness of your sin and then have the special presence of God with you for all of eternity. There's no more important thing that you could give some thought to or give some time to So follower of Jesus, you walk in the presence of the Lord all of your days and that presence is there for a purpose in order to bless. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you walk in the presence of God every day because he is fully present everywhere. But his grace is available to you at every moment that he could be specially present with you to bless. That gift comes by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We're gonna close uh, our service with like, a little bit more time in song than, than we normally do. Normally we do two songs, we're gonna do three. Um, the, the reason being this, brothers and sisters in Christ, I just want you to enjoy being in the presence of the Lord. Not just like the fact that he's here, but the fact that he's here to bless, that he's here for your good, that he's with you always, that he will be with you always, that he has been with you always, Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and sing. Close with the opening six verses of Psalm 139. David says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. 
You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This is wondrous knowledge. It is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Brother or sister in Christ, it is wondrous knowledge that God is not just physically present. He's present with you for a purpose. And that purpose is for your good. We love you. Walk in his presence. Have a great day.